Hi, everyone. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to invite you to come behind the scenes with me. I am writing a book on sustainable ambition, and the book is likely for many of you listening. It's for people who are ambitious, yet not at all costs, and are figuring out how to better align their life and work and continue to pursue their ambitions in a sustainable way. Does that sound like you? The book is early in development, and to start, over the summer and into the fall, I'll be hosting workshops to learn about and test some of the principles, practices, and tools of sustainable ambition and what I'm writing about in the book. The workshops are all free. You'll walk away with new insights and more clarity on how to make your ambitions more sustainable, how to better align your life and work, and how to pursue your ambitions in a more sustainable way. You'll also have a new way of thinking about ambitions and tools to come back to again and again to help you better align life and work and identify opportunities for sustainability. Plus, you'll be able to help me shape what is most valuable for you and others, which would be super impactful and such a gift. I'd love to have you join me on this journey and get a front row seat to what I'm developing. Again, the workshops will all be free, and in exchange, I would simply love your feedback with a short survey and feedback in the session. You can find more details and sign up to join me at sustainableambition.com slash behind the book. That's sustainableambition.com slash behind the book. I hope to see you in the coming months. Welcome back. I'm Kathy Onetto, and this is the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. In today's conversation, I'm joined by Darcy Webb. Darcy is part of a power couple, and I'm going to be speaking to her husband, Charlie Gilbert, in my next episode. Darcy and Charlie hearken from the performance and creative world. They are also in their late 60s and still ambitious. Darcy will be 70 later this year. What I wanted to know in speaking with them What does it look like to sustain ambition over time? Both are still quite ambitious at this stage. What does ambition look like for them? To tell you more about Darcy, she is an award-winning speech teacher and coach who has been teaching and coaching voice, speech, and performance to actors, public speakers, podcasters, and professionals from all over the world. She has a magical knack for helping her clients and students uncover the true voice that's been locked inside them all along. I wanted to hear more about that specifically. In the past, Darcy has also served as a voice, speech, and performance coach for TEDx Cambridge and was the head of vocal training for heroic public speaking. So I asked her about these experiences as well. Today, Darcy runs her own voice coaching business, having founded it at the age of 67. Now, as you listen to Darcy, I encourage you to pay attention. Can you pick up on the power of her voice? What might you sound and be like if you were to step into that kind of power? Wow, I'm thinking about that for myself. So let's get started and hear what we can learn from Darcy to start claiming the power of our voice. Darcy, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you here today, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, Thank you, Kathy. I've been looking forward to this all week. Uh, Wonderful. Take it away. (laughs) Great. Well, you know, I often start with career, Darcy, on the podcast. And while I spoke about your voice work, which we'll definitely speak about and learn more about, you started your career as an actor and then made your way to teaching. 
Can you share more about these callings and how you navigated from one to the other of those aspects of your work and career over the decades? You know, when I was a little girl, I used to stand in front of the TV during my favorite show and dance to the music. And when I was in the third grade, I had a teacher who would make us stand up and read. And she would encourage us to read with expression. And I was all, I, I used to love that term, expression. And I learned how to do it very quickly. I learned how to put that music in my voice so that the story became more engaging. So, you know, years went by. I studied uh, performing arts in college and got a, a degree with an, uh, an emphasis in acting. But I was always really good at voice and speech. I never gave it much thought. I never, you know, said, oh, Mrs. McDonald, thank you so much for teaching me how to read in the third grade. I just, you know, I just was really good at it. I worked as an actor off and on for about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. It, it was hard. It's really hard to take that rejection. I'm not good at it. I, I don't have the the grit for that, the stamina for it, the emotional stamina for hearing no, 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 you're too fat, you're too thin, you don't look like an ingenue, you're going to have to wait 25 years before you get really cast. I just, I just couldn't do it. So I was finding other things to do. I was, oh, I was, you know, dabbling in interior decorating and I was, you know, kind of teaching a little bit, but not really. And I worked for a Montessori school as their admissions person. And then one day my husband called me up. He was working at the University of the Arts at the time, teaching performers. And he said, hey, the chairman of the department is looking for a voice and speech teacher. Do you want to do, do this? And I said, because for years I had said, no, I'm never going to teach. That's selling out. I said, uh, okay, yes. I'll do it. It was it was just I it was just far less effort to say yes than it was to keep pushing away those opportunities to teach. And so I taught one course and I loved it and I was really good at it and I got excellent recommendations from my students so that they gave me all four sections the following year and I stayed there for 20 years and taught and I loved it. I hear from my students all the time about how valuable that teaching was for them. Darcy shared with me how she had resisted teaching for a long time, despite various signs pointing her in that direction. It's an example of two things. One, how it's a journey and it can take time to become conscious in our rational mind and know what we unconsciously know in our heart is right for us. And two, how external factors can limit our view of our right ambitions and can inhibit this process. Let's get back to Darcy's story so you can hear more. I was really struggling to find other things to do besides making it as an actor. So I went to that book. This was when I was in my early 20s. What color is your parachute? And you take all the, you know, you answer all the questions and the results were clear. I should be a teacher. And I thought, I'm not teaching. I'm not going to do that. So I took the test again and I tried to change the answers. <laughs> And the test came up again, you should be a teacher. So I threw that book away and then I struggled and struggled and struggled. I just, I just knew that I should be an actor because teaching was selling out. I don't know, it was like 20 years later, I take the test again, what does it say? Teacher. And so all of these years, I had just been pushing away this opportunity to teach. 
when it really should have been what I was doing all along. What do you think was behind that pushing away, Darcy, and your resistance to kind of accept that? I mean, you said you thought that it was a sellout, but was there anything else behind that? And I'm wondering if you think there's a lesson for others in that based on your experience. I think the reason why I kept pushing it away was because in theater school, you, you know, you eat, you sleep, you drink together, you're together all the time, morning, noon, and night. And you become like a bit like a posse. And where I went to school, it was, the, the adage was, if you're teaching, you're selling out. If you can't do it, then you teach. And so I didn't want to be a failure in the thing that I studied. So I just kept pushing it away. But my heart was telling me, clearly, was telling me I should be a teacher. And if I have any regrets, if I could go back and look at this young person and tell her something, I would say, listen to your heart. What is your heart mm. telling you? I'm not even sure I would know at that age what that meant. Because I, I, I know now after I taught college, I taught university for 20 years, they don't always listen to you. You know what I mean? They just, they, they just don't. So I guess I just had to do what I did. And just accept the journey to some degree. And at some point on that third time, it's kind of, and then that opportunity that presented itself. And you finally said yes, and somewhat, you know, begrudgingly in some respects, <laughs> okay, but yet, Perhaps that's just when you were open to really stepping into that opportunity. Yeah, I, I think so. It was an interesting feeling because it wasn't even begrudging. It was just, it was, it was almost exhaustion. Like, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't say no anymore. So now you started a business two years ago, as I mentioned, at the age of 67, what prompted that? Because some people might think you're crazy, Darcy, to be starting a business at that age. You know, so what prompted it and what are they getting wrong about thinking that it might be crazy? Well, it was opportune because it was the start of the pandemic and a few people were calling me and saying, you know, I, I want to I wanna work. Will you work online with me? And I thought, man, I could do this. I could really create my own studio and have my own business and call my own shots. I wanted to work smarter, not harder. I wanted to do something that I never thought I could ever do. I never thought I could do this. And sometimes I still don't because sometimes my business coach will say to me, you're not starting this business, Darcy. This is your business. You've been doing this for two years. And so at my age, I wanted to prove to myself that this was something that I could do, that I could be successful at, that I could do successfully. And I want to do that before I stop working. I have so much energy and I love what I do. I love to watch my clients and my students go, oh, I get that. Oh, I, oh, I never thought, oh. And so, so suddenly the light dawns on their head and something opens up inside them and they can walk a little differently, or they can finally breathe after so many years, or they can finally make sound. That's really thrilling for me. It's so exciting. I do want to hear more about your voice work. What is that experience like for people to 
step <laughs> into their true voice? Like, what is it like to work with you and for people to truly find that voice? Um, it's scary. I think it's really uh, scary for them. It's also really exciting. I do things that feel uh, sort of stupid. You know, that I remember when I was working for Heroic Public Speaking, the first time I went in there, I did my thing. I, you know, I started coaching I, I, for a large group of people. And then I said to Michael Port, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I hope that wasn't too crazy for your people. And he said, no, no. He said, let your freak flag fly. And so it, it was lovely to hear that from him. And, and when I gave myself full permission to do these exercises that are designed to release sound, that actors are very accustomed to doing, but that are a little scary. They make us feel very vulnerable. Other people, you know, kind of fell in line and they, they started, um, if they're doing it in a group, they can ha all have fun together. It is a little scary when you're working by yourself, when you're working one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm asking you to do things like, well, let's see, hang out your tongue, and let's leave it there for a minute, one minute. I'll time you. It's a vulnerable feeling, but it's effective. So I have a lot of exercises that require you to do funny things with your faces, that require people to make sound, that require, sometimes they make you slobber. You know, it's it's weird, and and yet it's very effective. It sounds like, and I want to kind of explore this a little bit. That my instinct, and based on what you've shared, is that in working on bringing out your voice, it brings out another side of you. I'm curious how you think about the power of voice. Working on voice and speech is like twenty percent mechanical. I give you all the mechanics or many of them. And then I'm always learning new stuff from, you know, different professionals. But it's 80% psychological. Because once you free up that sound, and it comes up, I mean, I'm, I'm watching myself as I'm doing this, it just kind of comes up from your center, and then out into the world. Well, it gives you a, a, such a sense of freedom and uh, power. I remember I was working with one young woman, and this happens often. This was many years ago. And I was doing a little, what we call side coaching. I was standing beside her and she was doing a, I don't know, some monologue or something. And I said to her very quietly in her ear, now open your mouth. And so she continued and she opened her mouth a little more. And then I said, more, open it more. And she opened it a little more. And then she started to cry. Because when we open our mouths, we're allowing not only the sound to come up and out, but all of those feelings that we're tamping down, all that truth that we're holding in. And then I just let her stand there and cry. Sometimes people will burst into laughter and I let them giggle and laugh and laugh until it's all gone. And then we go back and we start all over again. And then eventually what happens is over a you know, the course of a few weeks, they start to feel different and more alive and more expressive. So, you know, you've worked with actors but in performers, but also people that are giving speeches. And do they come back to you and say, I'm living differently? I'm not just doing my work differently, but I'm living differently. Mm -hmm. Yes. I worked most recently, I can think of a gentleman I was working with who was really struggling with a particular issue. He'd had it for years and years and years. And we worked, I think we worked almost a year. And 
He was a very successful financial planner, really, really successful at the top of his game. But he always wanted to get up on stage and share how he did it, how he does what he does, so that other people could do that too. But he would get up on stage and he would freeze and he would start thinking about the people who were judging him, that he didn't deserve to be up there, that he didn't deserve to speak. And now he sends me text messages. I'm in Houston and I'm in front of 1500 people and I'm speaking. He says I changed his life. I didn't change his life. He changed his life. If he hadn't made the commitment to do this, that would have never happened. And just kind of nudged him along the way. (laughs) Right. And we talked about how often when people are making career transitions or going into their next stage of life or work, they are searching for that voice or wanting to step into that voice. And I'm curious if you can say a little bit more about like what you see in that what might you be seeing around different people finding their voice at different stages of life or allowing them to then step into a new chapter, perhaps? I worked with one woman. This was very recent. She's been inside a lot, first of all, because of COVID and because of the weather. She lived in Connecticut. Then she got COVID. So she was very sick and she was older. I don't know how old she is. She might be a little older than I am. I don't know. Never asked her. But we only worked together for four or five sessions. She was very uh, sad because she was losing her voice. It was very thin. It was very reedy. It would pop in and out. And one of the things she always loved to do was sing Christmas carols. And so she had she had nothing. She just, I mean, really. And she, she kept going. <coughs> so we started working. And After the first session, she noticed a difference. Her children noticed a difference. After a couple of sessions, she saw and she felt that she was gaining her voice back. So one of the things that happens when we get older because of hormonal changes is we, this stuff in here starts to change, but we can keep it just like, you know, I'm back here in mornings lifting my weights to stay fit, we can also keep this instrument fit so that it doesn't make us feel diminished when we age. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yes. And I think what I'm wondering too, is that most of us likely don't think about our voice enough. And here I am podcasting. I know I'm thinking, Darcy, (laughs) I need to work with you. And there's a lot of power in playing with I mean, I talked about power of voice before, but there's a lot of power in playing with voice or using this as an avenue to unlock what might be inside us. And so while you do work with people who are looking to truly use their voice in expression, I'm wondering, is power in all of us practicing or doing work around our voice? Because it very much might unlock something that's inside us that we're wanting to get out, essentially. Here's the thing. It's hard to make sound if we're not open. Now, I, that could be metaphorically open. It could be spiritually open. But, you know, I, as, again, as I said before, I start with the mechanics. So I begin with alignment. And when we are aligned, we have lifted our, kind of like our torso up off of our guts. Sometimes when we're tired or when we're sitting in an office chair, we might do this. 
this is sort of my go-to at seven o'clock in the morning. Can you hear a difference in my sound? Can you hear this? And then if I move up, suddenly I have room in the lower lobes of my lungs for the breath to fall in. And then that breath is carrying my sound up and out. But the other thing that happens, and I think this is so exciting, is that when we are aligned and when we are open here, we have made ourselves more available to give, to communicate, to give information and to receive information. This being our heart chakra, we've left our heart chakra open, but it also gives us a feeling of not only vulnerability, but of self-power, right? We feel very different when we are in, in this position than when we are here. And, and maybe many of your listeners know, have heard of Amy Cuddy. And Amy Cuddy talked about power poses. And she did that whole spit test thing, testing for cortisol uh, and uh, testosterone. And then they kind of discredited her studies, which I thought was really interesting because it works. I don't care what the, how they discredited her studies. The fact is we feel different when we are here than when we are here. And what happens is so often when we are scared, when we're feeling vulnerable, we might just shift ever so slightly, pulling our shoulders forward and collapsing here a little bit. We're just protecting ourselves. Sometimes what we do when we're protecting ourselves is we, we will be very aggressive. You might have experienced that before where people invade your space and you just keep you know kind of stepping back and stepping back. That's just them protecting themselves in another way. But when we are centered and ready to give and receive, it puts us in a vulnerable place, but that's really our place of strength, vocal strength, spiritual strength, emotional mental. There's so much about this, but people who are listening might not see is Darcy's moving her body. She's kind of hunching to kind of say, hey, it's different if I'm talking like this versus if I open up my body and open up my heart center. And I have a mentor who talks about like step out of anxiety, step into being open hearted. Yeah. There's also just what you're talking about is like leveraging your body to help you in feeling different, really, and expressing differently. All you have to do is practice with this and pay attention to That's what's right. happening in your body. And you can notice that you start to feel differently. Even I'm doing it while I'm talking with you, Darcy, and I hunched up and then I opened up and I'm like, wow, I feel very different. Yeah. I've also practiced with like um, hand poses, like Buddha hand poses, where I do certain hand poses and I'm like, I immediately feel different. Yeah. It's very interesting. So that's a part of what I hear you saying. And it's very intentional in terms of what you're saying, but it it's, there's this body-mind connection that, that I'm taking away from what your, the experiences and the examples you're giving. Well, I wanted to ask you too. So a lot of people have the ambition of getting on a TEDx stage, and you worked with TEDx Cambridge for some time. I'm curious if there are a few key takeaways from that experience that might be helpful for those of us not on a TEDx stage, or even those of us who may have that ambition, but may, may not have that ambition. Like, What were some key lessons that you learned from that experience? Let me jump in here before Darcy answers my question. In this next part of the conversation, 
I see it as Darcy bringing us into the performance world and showing how the lessons there can apply to how we show up at work and in the world. To start, you're going to hear Darcy talk about stepping into the light. I love this as a metaphor for where this conversation goes. Step into the light, step into your voice, step into presence, let people see you and more. Now back to Darcy in her response to what she learned from her experience with TEDx Cambridge. One of the first things I would tell any speaker is find your light. We got to see your face. We want to see your face because your face is the most powerful organ you have of expression, right? We can always know if your face is active and you're, you are allowing your, your face to reveal what you're feeling, it's a lot easier to understand you. It's a lot easier to hear you. But we can't see your face if you're not in your light. So you can actually find your light just by, it's almost like looking for the sunshine, right? You find your light and you make sure that you use your light. That's the first thing I would say. Second thing I would say is your speech, your TEDx speech might not be interesting to everybody and that's okay, but you can make it more engaging, first of all, by making sure that you're articulating so that people can understand you. That's technique. And uh, the second thing is being more vocally engaging, more musical, more expressive, knowing where the interesting words are, the, uh, the operative words, the powerful words, the action words, and using those words instead of just memorizing a speech. I take that back to what you shared earlier, which was your early teacher who said, read with expression. Expression. Yeah. Right. Did. Right. And most of us aren't taught that to no. understand where to put emphasis or to bring people along by using your voice. It's also interesting that you are saying, you know, use your face. And so much of our communication these days is asynchronous or not by looking at someone's face. What do you think about that? I think I think we got to use our faces. I have seen so many flat faces and so many frozen faces. They're either frozen because they are Botoxed or they are frozen because they are um, just not facially expressive people. I have a friend who says she hates to see pictures of herself because she is always so ugly. She thinks she's ugly because she makes faces. Well, really what she is, is facially expressive and vivid. And that's exciting. That's interesting to see. You know, we... We raise our eyebrows to express surprise or awe, or we we furrow our brow because we're angry or we don't understand something, or we purse our lips. All of these things communicate information. So if our faces are immobile because we're on screen and we're worried about what we look like, or we're constantly smiling, we don't really get what you're talking about. <laughs> I have lots of facial exercises I make people do. It makes sense. And it makes sense. And I just think that point needs to be brought forward to people. Yeah. Like it's kind of, I'm on a lot of Zoom calls these days or video calls where people don't put their videos on anymore. And I understand why people get exhausted with being on screen all the time. So you do have to balance it. But when it's every single meeting that I have with certain people, I'm like, 
you know, it gets a little eerie almost. It's kind of like, you know, I do at some point want to make some type of human connection. Is it possible to say to them, I would love to connect with you? Yeah. Put your video on. Yes. I think that is possible. (laughs) I think think it's important to remember that we are, we're always performing. You're performing right now. You're going to get off this call and then you're going to become, you're going to play another role. It doesn't make you less authentic. Performance means fully present. It just means we're present. And so we show up for our day. And that's what I like to see from the people that I'm talking to. I love that, Darcy. I love this connection between performance is being fully present. And I was going to ask you in that Because some people, including myself, may feel like, wow, it's just as an introvert, too. It's like, oh, it's a lot of work to step into performance. And yet, isn't it interesting when you correlate that to being present? Like, Mm -hmm. does does being present really require a lot of energy or is it actually less energy? So I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that. I know that when I'm present, I'm very expressive and energetic. I know that because I've been told that for years by my family, they want me to go away. They, that's hard for them. Some people don't like extra. I can't help it. This is who I am. I have a daughter-in-law. I have two daughters-in-law, and they're both introverts. I know when they're present, and I know when they're not. But they can be fully present, and they have you know, lots of energy. It's just expressed differently. I do understand that we can certainly be introverted and be present. I yes. totally can see that. I think what I'm wondering is is whether or not, like what I'm scared of almost is, oh, if I need to be, if I was stepping into being performing like all hours of my day, I would think that that would be really exhausting. But if I were to think about it as be present for eight mm-hmm. hours of the day, that doesn't scare me as much. And yet being present still actually takes intention. It's not as natural for most of us. And so I don't know if you see it that way. I absolutely do. It Being present, fully present requires intention. And at the end of the day, we're ti- that's tiring because we've had a full day and a vivid day, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You know, you could be fully present while you're reading a book. My husband is a class A introvert, and I know when he is fully present. Sometimes he's not fully present with me when he's being fully present. Do you understand? But he's being intentional. That requires energy. It's just a different kind of energy. Makes a lot of sense. But I think that when we started spending so much time on Zoom, we kind of let ourselves off the hook. I think that's right. And I think that as we step out um, back into the world, I think we do need to get ourselves back on track around that personally. I think it's some of the things that are impacting people on the negative side is that we're not forcing people to step into having to learn and be intentional about how they are going to be with others. 
and we're protecting ourselves by keeping the video off or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, and yet it's not easy for everybody. There's other factors at play in terms of cultural environments that aren't comfortable and safe for everybody. So I definitely get that component. But I do really appreciate this piece of how can you step into intention with each interaction so that you can be fully present? Yeah, I think it's with each interaction. It's, you know, it's when, and when we go to work, you know, when we go to work in an office, I keep thinking about what it was like when I was teaching at the university all day. Yeah, I got to take breaks. And, and I did, and I had to, because I had to be fully present for those people, right? And then I had to go away. Even though I am an extrovert, I had to go away and fuel up. And I appreciate that, that it's not necessarily that we have to perform or be present all the time, but there are times when we need to recover, build up our mm -hmm. resilience, can be able to restore ourselves and then come back and step yeah. into things. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I did want to come back, Darcy, to your life and work and how you've kind of managed things over the decades. And I wanted to come back to this moment in time, too, and just ask how you think about ambition now and staying engaged at this stage in your life. One of the things that my business coach encouraged me to do early on was to take care of myself because I was all, I, you know, I was leaving myself available to everybody. And, and also I thought, well, if I, if I want to grow this business, then I have to take everything that comes my way. And I learned very quickly that I could really burn myself out that way. I am enjoying so much what I do because I am allowing myself time to recover. So I really call my own shots. I, I like to, you know, I don't like to get going before 11 o'clock in the morning because I'm going to lie down back there and do my yoga and lift my weights and meditate and then go down and have breakfast and have a wonderful conversation with my husband before I get back up here to start my day. That makes such a world of difference for me and, and enables me to see, even though I'm going to be 70 years old in some months, like three months, it enables me to, to see that I can do this for a long time, right? I don't feel tired. I feel like I have so much to share, but I got to take care of myself because if I don't, I'm going to be shot. I'm not going to want to do it. And within this and what you're doing now, what is your next ambition or what's your focus within the coaching practice? Well, first of all, I've got to get back with people. I have to get back in a room with, with people. And I have not done that um, in part because of certainly because of the pandemic. But now that we're all getting back together again, <laughs> I'm, I'm currently living in Southern Delaware where there's not a lot happening except for me on Zoom. We are moving back to Philadelphia. I'm moving into a vibrant uh, community of actors and musicians and speakers. And, and I just, I'm going to make a room. <laughs> and, and I want to start working with people in person again. That's my, my, my first ambition. I have a video course that uh, I have made. I want to be able to share that with more people. So that, that, so that requires marketing in a way that I've never marketed before. So I have to learn patience with myself and learn how to do that. 
And I think the last thing I want to do is, is get back up on a stage. I don't need to perform. I don't want to play another character. I just want to be able to share with large groups of people what I know and how what I know has changed people for the better. So that's really my next goal. Mm, that's exciting. So you might be stepping onto a speaking stage soon as yeah. well, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 And I love yeah. that. I really, I do embrace that. I am, it's exhilarating. And I, I, I love that feeling of harnessing my terror because <laughs> it's so terrifying to do that and turning it into sort of a, a generous gesture of sharing. Well, I appreciate with all your experience that you will be honest and transparent and saying it's still challenging for you or can still be scary to step into that and to normalize that. I mean, we hear it from a lot of people, but I still don't think people fully believe it that we all have discomfort when we're stepping into it, but that's because we're challenging ourselves and we're a little on the edge and what have you. So to normalize that, I think, I think is helpful. Well, I know you've mentioned Charlie Gilbert, your husband, and I'll be speaking with him here on the podcast as well, which I'm excited about. I'm curious from your perspective, how you two supported each other's ambitions over the course of your life together and perhaps even now? Well, I would tell you for a long time, that was really hard (laughs) because I was at home with two kids and he was doing all the fun stuff. And it's true, he was supporting his family in that way, but it was it was tricky to navigate for a while. Once we moved to Philadelphia, the kids got older, I was very free to, you know, really begin to fully express myself. It was, and that was really great. He's a big supporter of mine. He's, he's helped me in so many ways and he listens to me cry. I mean, he sees all the ugly. <laughs> and still cherishes me um, and has helped me a lot with this business because there are so many things that I don't understand from a, from a marketing aspect and a, a technology aspect. And he's been there for me, which has been great. I think he hung the moon and I think he, I think he thinks that about me too, but I, I think he's an extraordinary talent and I'm always sort of pushing him, you know, to get out there and allow his, his talent to shine. He's got to take that bushel basket off his head, you know, Mm. so the light can shine. Well, I love hearing that and just that being supportive of each other, even if you were taking on different roles throughout that time. So I can appreciate that. Well, I have just two final questions for you. Standing where you are now, what wise counsel would you give your younger self? Oh, I would say be brave. Just be brave. I was so scared. I was scared of everything. I was scared of making a wrong move. I was scared of looking funny. I was scared of what my parents would think of me. And I would just say, be brave. Go. Go to New York. Go to Europe by yourself. Be brave and you'll be fine. You've shared so much in this conversation. Would you also have some final guidance or a main takeaway to help people step into the power of their voice? I would say, listen to your heart. I don't want to get too, you know, poetic about it. And then open your mouth. And I mean, mechanically, 
open your mouth and see what happens. That's so great. Well, Darcy, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you being on with me. What can we do for you? I know you have like a five-minute warm-up that you offer on your website for people and might be able to point people there. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, I give you three different exercises in a span of five minutes, and you can do it every morning before you teach, before you have a, a, a podcast Try it, Kathy, or or before you step on stage. Even if you don't do any of those things, it'll make you feel better in the morning. And if you go to darcyweb.com and then you get that little pop-up, that annoying little pop-up window, don't be annoyed. Just, you know, you can put your email address in there and then that warm-up will go right into your inbox and then you've got it and you can use it whenever you want. That's fabulous. It's such a gift for you to provide that for all of us. I'm looking forward to putting it into practice myself. Well, Darcy, thank you so much for being on with me today, for sharing your experiences and helping people understand how the power of their voice can really open themselves up. And I just love how you say to step into that open heartedness, listening to your heart, and then open your mouth and see what comes out. So exciting. (laughs) Thank you, Kathy. It was so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for letting me share all this. It's really important to me. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Darcy today. I just love her energy, and I found the conversation both fascinating and inspiring on many levels. It's so interesting how finding our voice can help us reshape our lives. I just love this idea, working with the power of our voice to step more fully into ourselves. The idea of allowing ourselves to be expressive. I mean, what might happen if you were to allow yourself to step into the light? What if you were to listen to your heart, open your mouth, and see what happens? It also inspires me to hear Darcy being both ambitious and being intentional about sustaining herself, how she is drawn to work smarter, not harder. And I love the call to her past self and perhaps can be a mantra for all of us as we move forward. Be brave, step into the light, you'll be just fine. So I hope you'll come back for more inspiration in the next episode where I'll be speaking with Darcy's husband, Charlie Gilbert. I can't wait for you to meet Charlie and hear what he has to share about creativity, success, and sustaining one's ambition and oneself. In the meantime, you can find show notes for this and other episodes at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. See you soon for my next conversation. Cheers. Cheers.